Thank you, Katie. Hey, my name is Dave McCune, and I'm the youth pastor here at Trinity. And it's good to be with you here this morning. I get to serve with the best students on the west side. Where y'all at? Y'all are in here, I see. Yes, thank you. Amen. It's a good thing. And we also have the best leaders in the world. Uh, we have adult volunteer leaders who um, give their time to consistently show up in the lives of our students, to give them a place where they belong, where they're seen and heard. If you're one of our leaders, and you'd be so bold, past or present, put up your hand. Come on, these people are amazing. They're around here. Such good people. Y'all are such a blessing. So thankful you're here. Now to you students, um, I grew up in the Northeast and school didn't start till after Labor Day. And it just seems cruel, just cruel that today is July and tomorrow is the first day of school for some of you. That is not right. Something must be done about this, but alas, this is what we have. So we will pray for courage for you, for those of you starting school tomorrow. But um, for those of you about to start school and those of you who have at some point in your life had a first day of school, I want you to remember back to middle school and high school, one of your first days of school. Can you picture it? What were you thinking the day before your first day of school? That's people under pressure, right? <laughs> At least if you were me, there's a lot of pressure, there's a lot of stress. What do I wear? What am I supposed to wear the first day of freshman year? What do I do? And if you were in my school in Orchard Park, New York in 2001, Abercrombie & Fitch was the number one brand. And I was like, I'm gonna be countercultural. I'm not gonna do that. I'm wearing American Eagle. Which, if you know anything about that, it's like knock off Abercrombie. We're like, I'll show them. And I had my like Aeropostale jeans with the carpenter loop, just in case some construction broke out in the middle of English Lit, because uh, that's what you did. And then I had my Doc Martens that I polished up. That was like the only cool thing, really, that I had going on. It's like cred right here. Um, can you remember that? Can you remember that feeling? Or students, right now, you're probably picking out that outfit for the first day. And it's not just like right now, the day before school, that you're thinking about it. You've been thinking about it for a while. You've had the shopping trips. What am I going to wear? And there's a lot of anticipation, but there's also a lot of pressure of like, is this the right thing to wear? Am I doing the right thing? So if you can identify with that at all, and if you have had a first day in the past and you can remember that feeling, hold on to that feeling. Because we're actually going somewhere with this story. This isn't just because school starts tomorrow. We've been sitting with the Colossian people recently. Typically, we sit in the Gospels, but for the last couple weeks, we've recognized that the scriptures given to us from the Colossians are people much like us. The Colossians are people kind of going in their first day of school as being followers of Jesus. They're young believers in the faith, and they're under pressure, pressures from all sides, pressures to uh, be more religious than maybe they need to be, pressures to be more mystical, maybe. And then they live in a Greco-Roman world that's all about hedonism. It's do what you want whenever you want as much as you can get it. And they're in the middle trying to say, how do I just be a Christian? How do I just follow Jesus simply? And we're in a world where no doubt you're feeling the pressure daily, depending on the group you're in, the place of your work, the school that you're in, where you're feeling pressure. Well, do I be left? Do I be right? Which influencer do I follow? And so the question for us, the same question the Colossians were asking is, how do I follow Jesus? And that's the question for us today as we dig into it. Now, before we get to the passage, we got to take some notes about tone. All right, we know that tone is hard to get across when you read a letter, when you read an email. Text is so hard, right? How many have had those moments where someone texts you back, like, what, what did you actually mean by this? You're just trying to figure out where do we go for tacos. And you're like, okay, we're going to Taqueria Mami, the best tacos on the west side. If you don't know, now you know. So you <laughs> don't all go at once, but get the gordita with carnitas because it's unbelievable. It'll blow your mind. You've never tasted anything like it. But someone texts back, you find the place, and they just say, okay, 
right? Just lowercase o, lowercase k, and that's it. Has anyone had this moment? Like, what, what do they mean? <laughs> Is this passive aggressive? Are they excited? Give me emoji, give me like some punctuation, something, help me out here. What did you mean by this? And if it's hard enough in our day and age with a text or an email to know what someone really means, we're now reading a letter that's hundreds of years old to people who live in a completely different part of the world, different culture. So it's good for us to think about what's the tone this is being read in. Because we're going to read a challenging text. The text we're about to read is going to tell us to put to death certain uh, habits of ours, to do away with ways of being with other people. And we can read that and immediately think, oh, someone is out to get me with this religious list right here. And just my brain turns off. You might go to that person in your life who was that, who was that self-righteous person who's always telling you right and wrong. You're like, well, here we go again. But I want to tell you that's not what this letter is about. Paul is writing this letter to people who he beloves. That when he writes about them in chapter 1 of Colossians, he says, I have heard about your faith and I'm so thankful for you. You've actually been a resilient people in the midst of pressures pressing down on you all over. And so I know for our students, because I've walked with our students, that you've been really resilient people. You've put up with a lot over the last two years that you did not choose, stuff that got thrown your way. And I've watched you walk through that. Yes, there has been so much more anxiety than we expected, so much more pressure, but you have walked through it, um, walked through that pressure. And you've been really honest about it, more honest than any other students that I've ever walked with. And so if the rest of you, church, if you're like our students, then that's true of you. So when you hear this word, I just exhort you, don't go to that place of somebody just listing stuff off to me, but someone who loves you a lot. Think of the, of the best coach you ever had, the best teacher you ever had, the best older brother um, you ever had, someone who's like, I just want to tell you how to live. Now, we told a story about clothes, right? And there's a reason for that too. Pay attention in this passage. Paul talks about following Jesus, like putting on new clothes. You had old clothes, but we're going to put on new clothes now. Man, if someone just would have told me that freshman year, I would have been in such a better place the next four years. All right, let's read. Oh, I've got to find the Bible. There it is. We're in Colossians 3. Colossians 3, 1 through 11. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices, and here's our metaphor, and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, come. Where we invite you into this space. God, we're at a moment where there is pressure pushing on us from every side to conform to this or that way of thinking, to this or that group. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would be clarity in the midst of chaos. We pray that you would be comfort to us 
in the midst of pressure, in the anxiety of wanting to know how to just navigate this, this time in this place. God, that you give us courage to take the next step that you're inviting us to. Give us the gift of maybe not the whole path, but the next step that you have for us. And I pray especially for our students who are starting school tomorrow and in the next few weeks. God, that you would, they would know that your presence walks with them to give them both comfort and courage. God, we all need that. Be with us today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, if we were to identify with the Colossians, we ought to know that Paul, who is writing this letter to them, is encouraging them. And here, here's the words that he has for them. And what's neat is, for you students, which, what I want you to hear, the prayer that I've been praying for you and that your leaders are praying for you for this whole next year is one of comfort and courage. When I was in Ecuador with our students, and our students in Ecuador, if you followed um, our adventures, we faced a lot of challenges. We had to delay our trip because of civil unrest, um, and a lot changed on the dime, and our students were so adaptable. Um, but I recognize, like, I think what we need in this moment, if our students are a microcosm of culture, is we need someone to put a hand on us and just say, I love you, and you're approved, and you don't have to earn that. You don't have to perform for that, but you're beloved. And then put another hand on us and say, and I'm going to challenge you, and I want to give you courage, because the, li- the world we live in is complex, and there's a lot of uncertainty, but you've got all the tools to go live in it, and it will seem scary, but I want to put courage into you. So I want you to imagine right now someone putting two hands on you, and one of those hands is belovedness without condition, and one of them is courage. Because in youth, our world, if you go down to the youth room, we have everywhere the word belong. Belong is a great thing, to belong without condition. But belonging is not enough without an invitation to walk into a complex world. And so that's the courage part. So that's what we walk into this text today, and that's what I pray for you, that you receive both comfort and courage at the same time. So what does Paul start with? Now, I love that he doesn't get right into the strong language. He doesn't just jump right into, like, put to death this and do away with this. But he starts with a reminder of our identity. He talks about a hidden place. So Paul reminds us that followers of Jesus are rooted and hidden with him, with Christ. So I'm going to do a little experiment right here. If you're a note taker, you got a pen, pencil, you got some space, or if you've got a good imagination, we're going to draw some trees, all right? You're going to have 10 seconds. If you are drawing something, I want you to draw a tree for 10 seconds. Work with me here. We've done this with students. It's been great. If you don't have that pen or pencil, just imagine a tree. Imagine the best tree you can for the next 10 seconds. All right, ready, go. Okay, show someone your tree. That was a fast, fast 10 seconds. Show someone your tree. Burn that picture in your mind. All right, so here's the, here's the question. How many of you, if, you're, if you want to raise your hand, I know you're like, school. Ah. <clears throat> How many of you included roots in your picture? How many of you included roots or imagined roots when you imagined a tree? That's great, right? A tree can't exist without roots. But so often, if I think of a tree, I'm not thinking of the roots. Now, why is that? It's because our world values what is seen, not what is hidden. Our value is on the things that we can see, is on our performance. And this, is, this applies to students on the, the field, in academics, in theater, 
in social settings, but this is with adults too, right? How do I parent my two-year-old rightly in comparison to my friends who are doing it? All right, if I'm, if I'm in the business world, all it is applies. We live in a performance world. And so we focus on what is seen. Chris talked about last week that we need to be people who are rooted and established. If we don't have roots, we're going to fall over. You're made to grow tall and to bear fruit. We all are. And if we don't have those roots, we're going to fall over. Now, there's reasons we avoid the roots or we avoid thinking about the hidden places. One, if our world values what is seen, why should I spend time on what's hidden? Why should I even do that? I guarantee you, though, the people you admire most in the world have a hidden life, have a hidden life of substance. Okay, so why spend time if, if like, it's not seen and not valued? If my whole life is going to be a highlight reel that everyone's going to see, why spend time on the hidden thing? The second is, the hidden place is often the place that we're ashamed of. That's where we go when either I have failed or something's happened to me that I feel like I can't let anyone know because what would they think of me? So we associate shame with the hidden place. But what happens when we're in that shameful place? We're alone and we start listening to that voice in our head. And how many of us, that voice in the head is a kind one? It's telling a true story about us. This is the work of the enemy to put us in a place where we are alone in a shadow hidden place where the story being told to us is not forming us into God's best for us. And so we're called to be hidden with Christ. The language is this, you have died and are hidden with Christ. That's strong. So what do we mean by died? We're recalling our baptism, that we follow Jesus to hard things. If we follow Jesus, we don't need to be afraid of hard things. We need courage to walk into them. But if he walked through death and came out the other side, resurrected, then we too can face hard things, even those parts of ourselves that we are most ashamed to look at. So what can we root ourselves in? If we're going to be people who are rooted and hidden in Christ, there are three things right now that I feel would be good for us to think about. One, one root, if you think about three roots, right, three roots on this tree, one root would be that you are beloved. You are beloved and approved. When you follow Jesus, that is something given to you. It's not something that you need to earn. Again, we live in a performance world, so we're going to be thinking, how can I earn that approval? But you are already beloved and approved. The second is you are forgiven. And these are true things about you, truer than any lie you could tell yourself. You are forgiven. I want to speak God's forgiveness over you. We carry so many burdens of the places where we have broken relationships, where we have broken things in the past, where we've been unaligned with God's best for us. Some of it is stuff that's happened to us, and some of it is stuff that we have done and we still carry. But that stuff is not the truest story. But how often does this happen? We get in that shame place, the, the shadow hidden place, and we just go over, oh, I'm a terrible person. I'm going to continue to make these mistakes. It is so powerful and so hard to escape that. But the word of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus that speaks a better word. <laughs> the, the worst things that we've done are not the truest thing about us. We're forgiven and we can walk in freedom because of that. So that's the second root. And the third root is that you belong to a big family and you have a purpose within it. You belong to a big family. You're not alone. You are not alone. When you follow Jesus, you're part of the family of God that transcends not just now our time, but a whole history of people who have faithfully walked through really hard things, and you have access to that. It's a reminder. We need to know that we're connected more and more in a world, right, a digital world that is not face-to-face, -face, and we forget that face-to-face -face connection actually matters and that you matter. And so we need to be able to tell each other that. And so in those roots, in that hidden place, and I'll, I'll just tell you, everyone's hidden place looks different. And so I encourage you to start thinking, what does your hidden place look like? Do you have one? 
And are you telling yourself a true story in it? How are we combating the weapon of shame? I think Sarah even said it when we were singing just now. That song was incredible. We were talking about, uh, I wrote it down, the lyric, because Sarah, this song works so well. I will dwell in the shadow, in the shelter of the God most high. No weapon formed against me will fail. That song is unbelievable. It talks about having a hidden place where the weapons of shame aren't going to alter my identity, my true identity as a child, a son, and a daughter of a king. So in that hidden place, we need to tell ourselves a true story. So what I do, our friend Pete Scazzaro, um, he recommends, or he encouraged me to take two minutes every day in silence. And in those two minutes, I go through these three roots. And I'm like, Dave, you're beloved. Dave, you're forgiven. Dave, you belong to something. And I, all, you know, those weapons are there. They're saying like, no, but you did this. No, but do you really belong? Are you really good enough? And I go to that place. This is part of the hidden place. And so if that works for you, amen, do it. But find a hidden place where you can remind yourself of who you truly are and be with a group of people who will tell you the true story. I spend a lot of time on this because we're getting to the challenging stuff. But Paul wants us to know this, that the truest thing about you is that you have a life hidden with Christ. Will we have courage to create a hidden place even in a performance world? So after talking about having a life hidden with Christ, Paul gets right to it. He gets to the clothes metaphor, and he talks about the clothes that we are invited to change. He talks about two things. He talks about desires, and he talks about our, our tendencies towards self-preservation. So if you could put up this list again um, from Scripture, we're going to look at this list because it, it, it bears some working out right here. Paul encourages that followers of Jesus put to death bent desires, bent desires. So here's some of the desires that the Colossians were dealing with that were becoming idols in their life. So all these were becoming things that would elbow to the center of our affections and bid us to orient our lives around them. So here's what the Colossians were dealing with. See if any of this is true about our world today. Fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Now, we got to name some of these because it's really confusing. When we read passion, it's like, what's wrong with passion? I don't think there's really necessarily anything wrong with passion. I would read this better as lust. And lust is when passion is no longer just something that I love and that is part of my life, but it like becomes my identity, this thing that I can't do without. Um, otherwise, I feel like I've lost a part of my soul. So this is talking about a hedonistic thing, a pursuit of what I want, when I want it, whenever I want it. Think about that as a thought experiment. If you bear that out, that's not going to work out well for everybody all at the same time, right? So when you see passion, that can be really confusing. No, your passions, your desires, God gave you those. So I would encourage us this way. Let's not follow our hearts. Let's listen to our hearts and have a conversation with them and say, Lord, where are these desires leading me? Where do you want me to plug these in to a great world that needs the desires that I have? Let's realign our desires. Another thorny word and I'm like, thanks guys for giving me this passage this week. Fornication. All right. This word, narrowly defined, is sexual intimacy outside the commitment of marriage. Now, the original Greek, we don't often go here, but I think it's important because it's such a thorny word. The original Greek is the word porneia, which is much more broad. You can see porneia in that is the root, the word pornography. What it means is taking something that was meant to be really good, sexual intimacy, designed to be good. And if you haven't heard that before, I didn't hear this growing up. It is meant to be good. But when it's broken, sexual brokenness, and when it becomes an idol, something that people orient their lives around, there's a trail of destruction often behind it. And this can happen inside and outside of marriages. 
This is something for us to pay attention to. And Paul is naming all of these things as clothes that we may need to change. And remember, he's saying this not as someone scolding, not as someone shaming, but on like, hey, as someone who's been down the road before you, I think you should know this. These are clothes that you don't need to wear anymore. Now, he's really focusing on desires here because I think he's onto something that we're just starting to catch up to in our day and age. There's a philosopher around here that we love named Jamie Smith. He has a provocative book called You Are What You Love, But What You Love Might Not Be What You Think. Okay, so you are what you love, but what you love might not be what you think. And the reason he says you are what you love is that enlightenment statement. That is, I think, therefore I am, right? But I don't think that's true. I think that's one of the most dangerous thoughts we've heard in the last couple years or 100 years because of this. Students, you know this. Students, in school, how often are you treated as a full soul? Or how much do you feel like at the end of the day, I was treated as like a brain on a stick. Like when you think that statement, I think, therefore I am, it says the truest thing about me are my thoughts is what I think about. And that's sort of been the prevailing wisdom for the last several hundred years since the 1700s. What's the problem with that? I think we all know at the end of the day, I don't actually do the things I think are best. I do the things that I desire the most, right? You can say all the smartest things in the world. You can think great thoughts and have great debates, great conversations, but you're going to go out the door and you're going to do the thing you desire the most, the thing that you love the most. And so we're invited here to say, to really pay attention to our desires. We are primarily loving beings. We are thinking beings. Our thoughts matter. But I think we've neglected for a couple centuries our desires and what it looks like to form our desires. That's why we need a hiding place. We need a hidden place where we can reform our desires because your desires, people are paying lots of money and really smart people who can code algorithms are working to rewire your desires all the time. And if we don't have a hidden place to rewire those, if we don't have a community to tell us a true story about our desires, they're going to end up bent. And we're going to end up in a place where we are experiencing brokenness with those around us. But hear this. If this strikes you in a way, pricks your heart, it is not meant to be shame. It is meant to be an invitation to say, okay, so God, what clothes do I put on now? So after talking about desires, Paul encourages that followers of Jesus get rid of the clothes of self-preservation and they trade them, they receive the clothes of a new identity. All this work about having a hidden place is at the core of who we truly are. What is the truest thing about us? And when the pressure is put on us, something's going to come out, right? So when the pressure is put on me, what comes out if my desires are bent? Well, if my desires are bent, and here's the next list that Paul has, if my desires are bent, what's going to come out? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language. Again, we don't use words like this a lot, but you don't have to look further than uh, at least my middle school lunchroom to see all these things happen. Okay, malice, wanting ill will against others, slander, talking about people behind their back so I can validate who I really am. Abusive language, manipulating people with our words. Nobody wants this stuff. But when we're squeezed, what's going to come out? What's going to come out is our desires. And so if our desires are bent, this is what's going to come out of us. And so we're encouraged to do away with this stuff and to put to death the old desires and put on new clothes. Now I want to point out, lying gets its own special category here. I think this is really important. And I think this is something for our culture to really pay attention to. That all on its own, in verse 9, Paul says to the Colossians, do not lie to one another. So clearly he's speaking into their context. There was issues with people being inauthentic, not genuine. But in our world, 
I really think lies are the biggest enemy we're up against. John Mark Comer, who's a good, uh, who is a, a pastor and author, who we read a lot around here, he has his latest book, which is named Live No Lies. And in that, he provocatively says at the beginning that the biggest evil in the world today is not rogue governments. It's not big corporations. It's not politicians who are completely bent. We're not fr- primarily in a battle against evil people, but we're in a battle against lies. The devil is the creator of lies, and that corrupts all people. We should have compassion on people who have been bent by stuff, by lies. Lies are at the root of so much. It gets a category all to its own. We are called to live authentically, and this is one of the clothes we're invited to change out. All right, so I love that he ends with this, uh, the metaphor of putting on new clothes. Who can identify with that? I mean, before every function that my wife and I go to, we were texting around, like, what am I supposed to wear to this? <laughs> is, this like, is this like jeans and a button-down, or is this like slacks but no tie? I'm so confused. We're like, I never know what to wear to anything. When I just graduated college, I went to an alumni event. I was still in the town where I graduated, and I just got in these new shoes. They were this, the new technology of the day, washable shoes, not all birds, way too old for that. These are Crocs. These are... <laughs> incredible washable shoes, had these blue Crocs with the action strap, and I'm going to this alumni event, going to meet these alumni, and I'm wearing the Crocs, and my friend comes up to me, my best friend, still my best friend, he's like, Dave, I don't know how to tell you this, you can't wear those, (laughs) like, you just can't, man, I'm sorry, like, that's, that's not the right thing to wear, and he loved me, I didn't take that as like, you, you idiot, like, that's the tone that Paul has towards us, is in love, it's not like, hey, you idiot. It's like, no, wear the right clothes to this event. Like, this is what followers of Jesus wear. All right. Now, I think that's important to say that God gives us new clothes. The, par- the story of the prodigal son, right? The son, the youngest son, goes to his dad. It's like, dad, I want my inheritance now. The dad gives it to him. The son goes away. He blows it all in a couple months. He has a great time, but then money runs out. Good times, no mas. All right, so he comes back to the dad. He has a revelation. He's been with the pigs eating their slop because he has no money. His clothes are dirty. He desperately needs new clothes. He goes back to the dad. If I were a slave for my dad, I would be better off. He's practicing the story, rehearsing the story. He's in a place of shame. He's alone. He gets to the dad, and what does the dad do? The dad runs to him and doesn't let him hear it. He gives him a big hug. Dirty clothes and all, gives him a big hug. I love you, son. You're coming to my house. You don't have to be my slave. And by the way, I'm giving you new clothes. Giving you new clothes to wear. And you don't have to earn them. They're here. They're for you. So as you hear these, I think every one of us can identify with some of this list, some of the stuff, some of the old clothes. We can all identify. But I just want to encourage you so much. Do not go to the shadow hiding place of shame with that. Know that the Father is happy to give you new clothes. We need to have the courage to go to him and let him give us a big hug and say, you're beloved. Know that whatever of these stood out to you, you are never beyond. None of these disqualify you from life in the family of God. None of this. I've experienced. I have to go to this all the time. So you're invited. That's the Father's posture towards you. We are not just told to get rid of the old thing and then have nothing to build on. No, we're given something new in its place, thanks be to God. So, we're going to take a moment here to reflect on this. So I think there's an invitation for each one of us here. So there's going to be some questions 
that get put up here. We're going to take two minutes. And if you have a journal and you're a writer, go for it. If you want to just sit silent for two minutes and consider these, do that. But where do you need comfort and courage right now? For some of you, you might be walking in here and you're like, I have just been tired. I just need comfort and courage right now. Name that. What about this? The next one. How am I invited to cultivate a hiding place with Christ? Where are you invited? Some of us need that hiding place. One thing that's worth mentioning is that many of us walk in here with some wounds because we've experienced all these old clothes through the church. And that's really confusing and really hurtful. And so if that's you, if you like, you know what? I tried. Like, I, I was in some of this and I tried to talk about it and all I received was shaming from other people. Then I'm sorry. I can't apologize for everybody. I want you to know that's not the heart of God towards you. The heart of God is the Father who runs after us, gives me a big hug, dirty clothes and all, gives me new clothes. That's the heart of God. But we've got to go to a hiding place to know who God truly is. So, how are you invited to cultivate a hiding place with Christ? And then, finally, what old clothes do you feel called to trade in? This is where we're going to need the most courage. After the service today, after, um, after we sing and have communion, there, as always, there'll be trusted folks up here and a prayer team. And for some of you, this may be a moment where you've got that comfort, you're beloved, but you need to take that courageous step to go talk to somebody about something. And know that you're going to be received with love and not judgment. And so that might be a step for you to take. But what old clothes? Talk to the Lord and talk to someone trusted about this. So we're going to have a moment. But as you go into this moment, know that the truest thing about you is not the shameful things. It's not um, the worst parts of us. It's that you're beloved, you're forgiven, you belong to a big family. After two minutes, Brad will come up and uh, lead us through communion. It's been a joy to be with you all. Happy back to school, everyone. And God bless you. All right, we'll take two minutes. Thanks. Thanks.